0: I effectively traveled for a, two or three years, doing a month per city, and it, it it works. Like you you have to. It's it's a little bit of work to get that to feel like a routine and be able to do it. But you can do a month. Anything less than a month, it's like you can't get work done. You can't a- have time to do any of the tourist stuff. Like it just it doesn't work.
1: Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraschowski, and welcome to episode 143 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited to be joined by my good friend, Jesse Schoberg, the founder and CEO of Drop-in Blog, a software as a service that allows anyone to embed an SEO-friendly blog into their website in just a few minutes. Jesse isn't just an incredible entrepreneur, he's also a very experienced digital nomad and left the United States in the early 2000s. I wanted to sit down with Jesse to discuss exactly this topic, how do we make our digital nomad lifestyles sustainable for the long term. We discussed Jesse's journey and why he decided to abandon his life as an expat in Panama to become a digital nomad, how to balance work and travel so we don't just end up becoming laptop zombies from different countries, and how to make a living out of Airbnbs as comfortable as possible. But before we jump into the interview, make sure that you subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Remote Insider. Every Monday morning, I send out a brief but informative email that includes an insight into some of the things I'm thinking about, the top news from the world of remote work and location dependence, resources, upcoming events, and so much more. To sign up, just head over to thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider. It's completely free and it's been called one of my best products yet. So you definitely don't want to miss it. Finally, I'd love to hear what you think about this podcast. I've made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Jesse Schoberg. All right, Jesse, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm so excited to finally get you on here. How are you doing? Great,
0: man. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, it's been uh this has been a long time coming. You guys were here in P V. You spent uh well how long were you here for? Like a month? We did Thanksgiving together. How did you uh how did you enjoy your time in P V, by the way?
0: It's nice, man. I, I like the anything on the west coast of Mexico, I think it's a little bit more relaxed than the Riviera Maya. So I, I like that it's a little more established. Like the expat scene there is a little more established and uh yeah, the 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 whole scene there is it's uh it's it's a nice it's a nice vibe good size town I feel like uh, in PV like there it's big enough that there's a few things going on it's not just sleepy like some of the other smaller uh, popular places on the west there um, but yeah it's great we had a nice time
1: yeah I like PV because um, I mean it certainly carries some negatives right like there it's the expat community here is predominantly older American and Canadian, uh, like, like snowbirds, I guess you would say, but the size of the city does have, it does provide some of that infrastructure. Like that. You said a lot of the West coast, small towns are missing. Like we have reliable Wi Fi here. There's like a Costco, you know, there's some of these things that are, that are very nice to have. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. It was super fun having you guys here. Uh, but for people who don't know you, uh, You know, you're a founder that is shrouded in mystery that hopefully we're going to uh, reveal a little bit about that today. Um, But so let's let's jump in this a little bit. I know a little bit about your backstory, obviously, but you started out uh, actually you had an agency, right? Like you were working with uh, with a lot of with a lot of people who had websites who were not WordPress websites. Uh, And that was kind of like your agency, the service that you were running. But let's talk about how, how did that initially transition into Drop and Blog, which is your current um, company. Can you tell that story of how you went from an agency owner into running Drop and Blog? And what yeah, Drop and Blog is, of course.
0: I mean, we we had the agency for many years. That was kind of like what got me in. And I think that's what gets a lot of people in. It's agencies are are easy to start and hard to scale, but it's a... You know, it's, it's easy when you have a, when you're getting started, I mean, I think it is a good path to beginning because it's like, oh, you can trade your time for money and that's, that's quicker money. So if you have some skill that you can build something or you know how to do Facebook marketing or whatever thing is that you figured out how to do, you know, you can charge someone a grand or two or five and, and to do something that they don't know how to do. And you get that money today. And it's a good way to get started, uh, as, as an entrepreneur, I think. Um, and I did that and uh, you know, just started like basic coding when I was, when I was like 19 and, and just kind of that kind of turned into like a web development agency. And, and, uh, I was running that for many years. And then, uh, along the way, I kind of knew that I needed to transition into product if I wanted to, you know, actually make quote like real money. Cause the agency life, it's just, you know, you can, you can definitely get to six figures, but then if you want to get it to seven figures, your life's going to be a nightmare. So it's like, just not i knew that i knew that we needed to work toward uh product at some point and so actually i had started many products like i'd done a bunch of different things we were running like we were using the the team from the the agency like to kind of we were we were diverting some of that team over to uh the work on our products so you know we had a a franchise lead directory we had a form processing sass um, we had another little SaaS, and then we had drop and blog and all of those kind of came to us one way or another that we had start them or uh, uh, acquire them or something but uh, with drop and blog what had happened is we had a uh, we had a a lot of we were building st- a lot of static sites actually because uh, some of this was even before WordPress became the the platform um, and then what had happened is a lot of people were, they're, they had their static site and they liked it and they liked kind of how we had it set up so that they could manage it. But then they decided they wanted to do content marketing as their companies grew. And so the only solution was what most people do in that scenario. If they've built their site on something that's not WordPress was to put WordPress in a subdomain or in a folder and then like try to create a theme that looks like the old site, but it's like different, you know? And so then, you know, that was kind of the, the solution that we were doing and you know, we realized that this is really clunky, like for people to, you know, the reason that they didn't build their site in WordPress in the first place is because they wanted something cleaner and not so, uh, you know, heavy to manage as as WordPress is. So then it's like when we have to build a a WordPress site for them as well, just for the blog, it was a lot to manage, didn't really make sense. So we thought, wouldn't it be nice if you could drop a blog into the existing platform that was there and that's kind of where the drop and blog idea came from, just from that demand. And I mean, this was like a long time ago and that was just kind of marinating. And then as that kind of built up, I mean, we started coding out the first version of the project in like 2013. We didn't launch it until 2015. And even then it was just like, okay, it's just like for our clients, like we weren't like trying to market it or or whatever and or even like think of what the product market fit was or anything like this. We just kind of uh were running that with a few of our other things and then uh yeah. So then it was it was starting to get going. And then uh you know it was making like a couple grand a month or something just kind of from those clients. And then there was this point uh in 2019 where Uh, So again, that's four years after we actually even launched it, right? And it was just kind of like a side project with all of our other side projects. And we we couldn't really see where the market fit was going to be because we thought that originally our target was static sites. Like that's what we were building and that's what people were, uh, you know, what we were, what we thought it was for, right? But then 2019 in the spring, we had like kind of an uptick and we saw, you know, All of a sudden we were getting like signups and the MRR was starting to build into something more notable. And we were like, what's going on here? And we started digging into the signups and seeing where these guys were embedding the blog platform. And we started seeing people using these no-code platforms. So this is like Kartra, Thinkific, Webflow, like this kind of stuff. And we were like, oh, wow, this is interesting.
1: Sorry to interrupt you. How are those people finding you? If you weren't like advertising to them, I'm curious about like, were they just like Googling for solutions and finding you that way?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just, just organic, mm-hmm. like, you know, stuff, just trying to, yeah, figure out how that they can basically get the, any blog on, onto the, to their, their existing site. Right. And that's kind of what we were targeting keywords around, like, you know, add a blog to your existing site or stuff like this. Right. And, uh, and then the traffic just kind of started to trickle in and, and that was the other thing is we never really knew what to go after as far as like keywords because we look up the keywords that were related to stuff that we thought that this was for, you know, like, like add a blog to a static site or something, you know, and it's got like 50 global searches a month, you know, and we're like, well, that's not a business, you know, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it turned out that, that it sort of was basically, um, but then. Where the, the transition kind of happens, once we saw that these platforms, some of them even had a built-in blog system, it just was not good. And so since that was our main focus, right, it was, it was able to, you know, people that actually want to do real content marketing, we had a better platform, right? Um, and so, but then we kind of had that aha moment where we said, okay, well, no code is coming in strong. People are leaving WordPress to to build on no-code platforms because they don't want to deal with hosting and malware exploits and updating uh, plugins and blah, 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 right? So they're moving to all these no-code platforms. And so that's good. And all of these platforms, they have an audience, right? So now all of a sudden we have someone to market to. So now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, we can build uh, an integration for, one of these platforms and then we can do content marketing around that blogging on platform or something like this. Right. And so then it's like, okay, now we actually have an audience to go to. And then that's kind of where we had this aha moment that like, okay, this thing can be massive, right. Where before we just, we couldn't really figure out how are we going to get to an audience? People don't even really know that this exists or that it could be a solution or whatever. And then we kind of found that that's where it's going to be. And then that's kind of when we hit the ground running and. Actually, around 2019, when we saw that, we started working on it as much as close to full time as we could, and then we spent the next year or two like selling other projects, winding down the agency, like getting out of everything, and then uh, moved my partners, everyone, and our team, all everyone moved into this full time. So uh, that was kind of the, the the transition.
1: So, at what point? Because I know that you. You left the US quite early in that story and and moved to Panama. So, at what point exactly in in your story did you move to Panama and why did you want to leave the US in the first place? Uh, Like, why did you want to leave the US? Why did you choose Panama? And how was the business doing at the point in which you decided to to make that jump?
0: Yeah. So, uh, my almost my whole like chapter Panama or Panama chapter rather was uh, with the agency. So uh, mm. I had, st- I used to live in Madison, Wisconsin, and I had started the agency there and had all of my clients mostly from like the Midwest, that region. And when there was a point when I decided I did not wanna live in Madison anymore. So um, I was actually looking for other cities in the US to move to, just wanted to kind of go anywhere. And then I'd remembered like a few years before the- I moved, I had been on vacation to Panama once, like randomly, like Panama city. And I remembered, like, oh, it was a pretty cool city. And then I was just basically like, well, I could move to Denver or Austin. And, you know, what's funny is it was like, oh, yeah, I had made this like location independent income, which is like the goal. Right. But then I realized that I was already in a cheaper market than the places I wanted to move to. So I was like, oh, shit, like I'm going to have to move to. Like if I move to Austin right now, like my quality of life is going to go down immediately, right? And that's like, that kind of like defeated the purpose uh, partially, right? That I was like, oh, you know, oh, I'd love to like live. I wanted to move somewhere warmer, so that's why I was looking at uh, Austin or Denver, which was even Denver having winter was warmer than where I was. Uh, <laughs> but then I then I was like, then I was like, yo, like Panama good, and the cost of living there was like around what the cost of living was in Madison, and it was like a real like metro. Like a, like a, you know, it's more of like a Miami lifestyle. And so it was just kind of like, yeah, let's just do this. So, uh, yeah. So I just like, yeah, I just moved there. Like I had been there like two weeks, uh, previously and just literally like went for it, but like in like a normal way, like I did like expat style, this is like 2008. Like I hadn't like four hour work week had not hit my hand yet. Like I was I didn't read that book until I was in Panama. One of my friends in Panama handed it to me, like after I had like met the expat crew that was already living there.
1: Why did you want to build a location dependent business then, right? Because I feel like for most people, the four hour work week and reading it and seeing that it was quote unquote possible is sort of a catalyst, right? In many ways, Tim Ferriss is the first person who sort of said like, "Hey, this is a thing." it's not that hard to do. Here's why you should do it. What made you want to do it? You know, like you said, like before the four hour work week was a thing.
0: I just, I didn't really like the lifestyle of where I was in the States. I just, I, I didn't know what I wanted. I just knew that this wasn't it. I just know that like my neighbors here in the suburbs, like we have nothing in common. We don't have any mindset in common. Like there's just, I, I just felt completely like disconnected from the, the, the general vibe there, right? Like it, it, it was fine, but I just knew that I wanted something more and I didn't know exactly what that was. And I knew that by transitioning the agency to location independent and then like working upward from there, uh, would give me that freedom to figure out what that is. So, you know, it was like, okay, I was going to, I just wanted to like move to a bigger city, see what that life was like, like try to find out like what was going on. And then, you know, moving to Panama kind of like surprised me and opened my eyes a lot. And then kind of, you know, then, then, then I was able to see, get validation. Basically. I met a bunch of other expats, kind of similar to PV in the way that like, there's a lot of established expats there. Like it's not so nomady. It's more like expats. It's, it's a little bit more expensive than some of the real popular nomad locations. So most of the people that live there actually live there. And so there wasn't, I wasn't really exposed to the nomad community at all. It was mostly like expat scene, but there was a bunch of established expats that had like good businesses. And so it was like that motivated me and kind of showed me that like, Oh yeah, like you can just live here or anywhere. It it kind of just put that together for me. And then I realized the power of that. And then as you know, like living around the world and hanging out in like expat slash nomad circles, there's like a mindset difference. There's something about the filter that it takes to have the balls to like leave your home country and go live somewhere else. And, you know, there's just this different mindset, different openness to try new things or to be more accepting of different things. And, uh, y- you know, it's just you click better. And so I felt that a lot when I got to Panama. And then it all kind of that just kind of catapulted my mindset and gave me more motivation to work on things and this kind of stuff. And then when I read The 4-Hour week, it was just... At that point it was kind of just validation for me. I was like, "Oh, thanks Tim for organizing my thoughts." Like <laughs> it was it was basically like kind of all the things I'd kind of been thinking about and trying to marinating on in my head and then like, you know, he kind of put it into to words. So that was kind of interesting and that was kind of similar I guess to a lot of the people that were in my circle in Panama at that time as we were passing this book around and it was kind of like, "Oh yeah, look, like People are, people are going to start doing this or whatever. This is interesting. That sort of a, so it was, yeah, most of my circle at that point, no one was having aha moments from reading the book. It was more like, Mm -hmm. like, oh, interesting. This is starting to become a thing. You know, we're not just the, the, the edge case anymore, you know? So,
1: yeah, like the way that you, that you phrase that as a filter, because it's the way that I've thought about it as well in, in some ways it does feel like you like um, you do pass through a filter because if you're from, I mean, we're both from the Midwest. We both grew up in the Midwest and there's a, a specific type of thinking in the Midwest, the same way that I'm sure there's a specific type of thinking in the West. And if you don't feel like, or I should say the West Coast, and if you don't feel like you fit in when you make this transition towards something that attracts you and then you meet a whole bunch of other people like that, it does feel like you kind of cross through a filter. You're introduced to people who, think differently, who take different, uh, actions and it can be very empowering. And like, for me, for example, like when I became quote unquote nomadic, I kind of, for the first time was when I felt like, Oh, like I have things in common with these people. You know what I mean? Like I vibe with them a lot better. Uh, and so I, I certainly feel that, you know, like I totally agree with you on that one. What made you go then from, you know, being an expat, you were living in Panama for a few years, if I remember correctly. Why did you then want to become nomadic? Like, Why did you decide like, all right, I'm done with Panama. I want to now be a nomad.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was kind of living under a rock as far as like what was going on in the nomad scene. I kind of remember like when I first moved to Panama, I kind of looked all over the internet to find out like, you know, and then when, when the four-hour work week came out, you know, I started like kind of searching for community or whatever and, and there was nothing. You know, this is, this is kind of pre like tropical NBA and, and even then that was like infancy for those guys. Right. Like, and so Mm -hmm. there wasn't anything. And then there wasn't really like nomads like passing through Panama. So I didn't really, I don't know, for some reason, like it didn't, it didn't, I didn't get like exposed to that community even for many years. And then it wasn't until like 2014 or something, uh, 2014, I think it was. Uh, I went to uh, like a like a co living house, uh, one of these like you know month long retreat things with these guys called Work From, um, and yeah, they're rebranded. I can't think of what their name is right now, but anyways, whatever. One of these you know co living one month thing, and uh, it was in Curacao, and uh, I someone like randomly like posted it on my Facebook wall. Someone from the states who had like visited me once and said like. Hey, bro, this looks like something you would do, you know, like this, this like live and work abroad in a thing for a, like a fun house for a month or whatever. Right. This kind of thing. And I, and I was looking at it and I was like, Oh yeah, that does sound pretty cool. Like, Oh, I wonder like who will be there. What will it be? So I went there, um, and you know, ended up meeting some interesting people and, but the big like kind of catalyst there was, you know, they kind of exposed me to the fact that like the nomad thing is full on and like. Asia is popping and like, you know, all, all of the kind of, yeah, like exposed me to all the podcasts and the content that was going on. And, you know, like made me realize that there was like a a real thing happening now. And it kind of hit the timing where like I had been in Panama long enough that I was, I was ready for change. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was like, I think I moved to Panama in 2008. This is 2014. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a minute. So, uh, the, I had kind of, was just kind of getting, getting bored there and, and, uh, you know, just a different season of friends that kind of happened over time as happens in these kind of places. And yeah, I was just ready for something new. And so, um, it I, I did like a world traveling tour by myself, like, 2014, 2015 and, and went to like, you know, went to like Europe and Asia, went to Asia for the first time, went to Thailand, went to, uh, Philippines and, you know, just Japan everywhere. And just to like, kind of see what's going on in the, you know, back, back on the recon mission to see what's, what's happening out there. And I think I was on the road for like nine months. And then when I got back to Panama, I kind of knew like it was time to move on. And at that point, um, I, I had, I had Thailand like targeting in my mind. Like I kind of always knew that like that was going to be the next chapter was Thailand, even though I hadn't been there. And then when I went in 2015, like literally my first like two hours in Bangkok, I was like, no, this is it. Like this is the next spot because it actually had a lot of things in common with the way that Panama city feels, uh, except in an Asian way instead of a Latino way. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it clicked with me. It was like, okay, cool. This is like the version 2.0 of the life I was living before. And so then I knew like Thailand was going to be the spot at the, you know, next, uh, next spot on the map. So then I took some time and kind of slowly closed my life up in Panama and kind of made the transition to Asia at that point. Um, I lived in Chiang Mai for like a year cause I wanted to go to ground zero and see like what was going on with the nomad community even though i'm more of like a city person but i wanted to just kind of Mm. uh conocer as we say in spanish and it it was like uh yeah so that was good and then it kind of after that i just kind of went full nomad since so
1: i call that the fizz you know when you go to a city and it can it can happen almost instantaneously when you get there but there's something about the city that you're like "I, i can't even quite put my finger on what it is but something feels good here Uh, and it's just like a place that you want to hang out. Like I get that in like Budapest, for example, like I, Mm. you know, now I can tell you what it is maybe, but I remember from like day one, when we were in Budapest, I was like, ah, there's something here. I like it. It feels good. You know, there's some sort of energy to it. Uh, how did going nomadic affect your business? You know, like you'd been stationed in, in Panama for such a long time that then kind of going on the road, I would imagine was a big change. Did it have any sort of effect on your business, positive or negative?
0: Yeah, I think part of it was, I mean, it definitely was more positive in general. I'd say that the year that I, that I spent like before I like left Panama that I, that I was just kind of like exploring my business did terrible. And like, I mm. like I, I made like half as much money that year because I was, I was running the agency. Right. So like, that's very like input output kind of whatever but I didn't care I was trying to like figure my life out right and so you know in that scenario but there I wasn't I was doing like less nomading and more like traveling like you know I mean I was spending like two three weeks in a place sometimes less like that's too fast to be moving to like get work done right so I mean obviously I was Mm. still like keeping the ship afloat but it wasn't the it, I wasn't in a growth period for my business. I was in a figure my life out growth period. And, but but then when I actually decided to move to Thailand and then surrounded myself with more of the nomads and, and also honestly just like more people doing more business, like, well, as I said, I met a lot of successful people in Panama. but we were a lot more focused on lifestyle there. So, like, it's a good life mm-hmm. there. Like, we were just like enjoying a good life. We we didn't talk that much business. Like, we definitely did, but it wasn't like in the nomad scene. Everyone's just like business, business all the time. And so, it was like uh, that was like a little bit of a change. But the other important thing, I guess, when I got to Thailand and then nomaded after that was, I was ready to work again. Like, I feel like. The, I had become a little bit complacent on the agency and unexcited by it. And I, and I was ready to, you know, chase the seven figure business and figure out what the software thing was going to be. And so this is, you know, if we look at the timeline here, I kind of mentioned like I started like targeting Asia, like 2015, 2016 is when I finally moved there. You know, this is like right after we launched Drop and Block. So I didn't even know that was mm. going to be like the thing. I just knew something was going to be the thing and it wasn't going to be the agency. So that's why I was like working on four projects, trying to figure out which one is going to find product market fit and stuff. So I was just kind of hungry when I got to Asia and I was ready for a a new chapter and i was ready for a new chapter in business and the good thing was that like i still had the agency it was still profitable i was still like you know it wasn't like i was showing up in asia like ground zero like okay i need to figure out how to make 800 bucks a month so i can live in chiang mai like i was not in that scenario thankfully Mm -hmm. Uh, but i was definitely hungry and focused more than i had been for years so I don't know, you know, saying like a lot of people say like, oh, it's hard to get in a routine when you're nomading and this kind of stuff. I did like pretty much live in Chiang Mai for about a year. And then after that, I started moving like basically month to month. Uh, but I did kind of hit some of the same core cities a lot. So, I, you know, I had friends in routine and I knew buildings I like to stay in and coffee shops I like to work in and this kind of stuff. And I kind of built up a routine in all of those cities. So... um it was like fairly efficient, but it was more about that. I had the drive at that moment. So it was, uh, you know, it was efficient and everything got better. Yeah.
1: One of the things that I, I really respect about you and that I look up to you about is the fact that I feel like you really enjoy the digital nomad life, even after being a part of it for a really long time, because I think, Like I remember when I first became a nomad, it was so exciting. Everything was fun. Everything was sexy. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just like there was so much energy about it. And then once you're in that lifestyle for a while, it becomes your regular. And a part of that kind of goes away. Do you know what I mean? Like you kind of – you end up falling into a routine. You end up – you know like I still wake up at like 6.30, 7 a.m., every day, just cause like, that's like my routine. And part of that, like excitement goes away and it's so easy to slip back into working, you know, six, eight hours a day. How, and then I remember at a DC, I think it was DC BKK, you talked about, you know, you joined this lifestyle. So many people joined this lifestyle to be able to travel and explore and enjoy life. But what we end up doing is like just staring at our laptops from like 13 different countries, right? Instead of actually seeing those countries. How have you been able to continue that excitement, like continue enjoying that lifestyle instead of just falling into this, uh, like the easy path of, like you said, you know, just staring at the laptop screen, just staring at it from a different place.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a tough balance for sure. Right? Like uh, it's, it's, uh, cause you, you still need to get the work done, right? You still, you still want to achieve your, your business goals. And so it's one of those things where, y- you know, you, you can't just go gallivant all the time and yes, you go to these places and you've been there long enough. It's, it's not so exciting anymore. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a few like ways that you can combat that. And one way that I like to do is like, for me, it's, if you don't stay in one place for too long i know there's like a balance there but then then i feel like you it you constantly refresh even if you're going to places that you know already it's like as soon as you get to the you know it's like okay you say you, that you like budapest a lot right it's like okay well if you're in pv for a few months and then you go to budapest even though you know and love it and you've been there a bunch of times like the like when you get there you're like oh yeah they have this and the they they speak differently here and the the food is different here and the weather is different here and your brain kind of kind of hits you with all this kind of excitement uh from feeling that new again and then like oh you can go see the spots that you know and maybe see some of your friends that were there and it it creates this kind of um this like scarcity in a way like when you get back and and that's i guess the other thing is like by keeping the by by not staying in the place forever it it does also create some scarcity where you're like well mm. i'm only here for x amount of time so like i better do that thing i wanted to do and and you know make sure that i go to dinner with those yeah people you don't take it for and, granted yeah exactly cuz i found that it's like i mean this is like if you look at like normal life like i think about like even when i lived in panama i think i was there around 7 years or so and it's like i don't know i feel like it would have been the same if i would have lived there for 3 Right. Like the like mm. the number of experiences that I would have got and the like, you know, your brain kind of just if it, if you're there, it's like if you're in a place for like three months or you're there for five months, your brain, it's just kind of the same. Right. So it 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 kind of. Uh, yeah, it just it, it's a it's a way to hack it a little bit, I guess, is by at least like moving around a little bit or even if you're not moving around, uh, if you want to have a base, it's like, you know, planning to do stuff regularly. So it's like, you know, one one like system that I that I was doing for a while that worked pretty well is like if you're in a new place or even if it's not a new place, a place that you go all the time, uh, you know, looking to do like some like extracurricular that you haven't done, like something touristy, like once every two weeks, even just like. Uh, you know, so like every other Thursday, like we like hit the Airbnb experiences and we go do a food tour, even if mm. you've been to a couple of the places or something, right. Or you, or you go on that hike that like, whatever, or you go see that monument. That's, you know, you basically try to do all the stuff that when people come there for four days, they spend their whole four, four days doing just like check that stuff off over a couple of months. Right. Like, and, and, like, just make sure that you do the the touristy stuff. And then, because those are the things that you actually remember, you know, not the sitting mm-hmm. in your office and, and whatever. So, um, yeah, so th- that's a good one. And then uh, I think it's, yeah, it's just trying to, like force your schedule those things in because otherwise you're, it's just as humans, we like routine and we just kind of slip into doing the same stuff all the time. And again, routine is useful and important and we all got to make money and there's a comfort in the routine and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, just figuring out ways to hack it. Another thing that I found recently when you're staying in places longer is I found the perfect getaway to be like four days. It's like, if you're in Uh, you know, so it's like, okay, so you're in PV and it's like, okay, there's like a million cool places in Mexico, right? It's like, so, you know, you can get on a plane for a hundred bucks. You can go to any of these small towns. You can go to Guadalajara, you can go to whatever. And, you know, you just spend four days in there and that's a short enough time that, you know, you can like allow yourself to just be on vacation and tourist, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can, you can just pack a small bag. You don't have to bring your whole life with you. You can bring the laptop as an in case you need it, but no, no sitting there for four hours a day. Right. It's, it's like you're there to tourist and then you go tourist around for four days. And it's very, I found that very freeing. And then, you know, then you can just come back to your, your life at wherever you're set up right now. And, you know, that's, that I found to be a, a nice way to do it besides like You know, the other way is to like move somewhere like every one to three months. Um, And then you're like resetting that all the time, right? And then it's like, okay, we're here for a month. So I want to knock these things out. So then you're doing stuff twice a week or something like trying to hit some of that tourist stuff or
1: whatever. So, One of the really embarrassing things is uh, Sarah and I spent so much time living in Mérida. And we never went to see Chichen Itza, which is like an hour away. And it's one of the main things that people do when they go to Mérida is like, you know, they use it as a base to go see Chichen Itza because it's so close. And we're always like, no, we've got time here. Like we're going to eventually go there. And we were so focused on work in that period that it was one of those, like you were saying, you know, like it's just one of these like embarrassing things that we never did because we were so, it's like, we just moved our office to Mérida and we didn't really enjoy some of these tourist, uh, you know, experiences that, that make, like life so interesting when you are a digital nomad. What have you found is your uh, you know, you kind of mentioned some some time slots there. Like, you know, you talked about uh, you know, moving every couple of months, but have you found like what your happy balance is or are you constantly changing in terms of like how long you spend at a location to keep that refresh rate like at a good place, but still be able to create routine and get work done?
0: Yeah, I mean it does depend on my mood and and what's going on in life. I think I'll say that anything like a month is the minimum. So like if you, mm. uh, you know, I effectively traveled for a two or three years doing a month per city and it, it, it works. Like you, you have to, it's, it's a little bit of work to get that to feel like a routine and be able to do it, but you can do a month, anything less than a month. It's like, you can't get work done. You can't have time to do any of the tourist stuff. Like it just, it doesn't work, but like you can do a month. The city is like the minimum, Uh, I've found, and and I've kind of seen some consensus around this. I feel like three months is like a really good amount of time. Like the three Mm -hmm. month mark is like, then you can go for like a season, right. And you can kind of hit the place and kind of the advanced version of that, that I've been playing around with lately is, uh, there's this cool website called weather spark and it shows you like the climates of like every city. And like, you know, when is the rain and when is it humid and what are the temperatures? It kind of lays all that out on these nice, beautiful charts and tells you like the best times of year to be everywhere. So then you can say like, hey, you know what, I really like Mexico City. And then you can look in there and you can say, oh, well, it looks like the best time to be there is like February, March, April. So then it's like, well... You, I used to just throw myself around the world and not really pay attention. And then I'd get myself into trouble and it's like, Oh, what are you doing here in like the middle of the peak rainy season where like we're yeah. in like monsoons <laughs> and like, you're just like, you know, you, you can't walk to the coffee shop. You have to take a raft, you know, like it's just uh, like, and so that, that was like kind of like another way to kind of pro move that up is, is uh, you know, look on weather spark and kind of be a little more thoughtful about going to places. Cause obviously like, places have seasons and there's like better times to be in different places. So anyways, that's a way that I've kind of figured that out. It's kind of cool, but yeah, I think three months is kind of the, the perfect. Also, I've noticed that we're looking, using that three month number, most places that's how long, like the good time is there. Yeah. <laughs> like, the season changes, right. You know, it's either getting too hot or too rainy or, or too something, you know, I mean, obviously we're just totally spoiled, just mostly living in tropical locations where it's just nice all the time. But I mean, it is different when, like, there's monsoons coming in and and you're getting hammered with this stuff all the time. Or in some of these areas, it gets, like, painfully hot. Uh, You know, it's like all of a sudden starts, like, pushing up to, like, 40 degrees and you're like,
1: all right, yeah. Even here in Puerto Vallarta, like, I mean, we... It's interesting because we've spent here way longer than we normally spend somewhere. So we've been here for six months now. And I definitely feel that like, okay, it's time to move on. I think we may have spent a little bit too long here, even though there were benefits of that. Like we spent some time back in the U.S. We got to explore some other parts of Mexico. So we did move around a little bit. Uh, But I agree with you. I like the three months. But even with the weather, like here in Puerto Vallarta the really rainy season, like when I would avoid being here is more like June, July. That's definitely like when I want to get out of here, but we've been talking the last week or two, it's getting humid. Like I'm getting that sticky thing. Do you know what I mean? Like when, when it starts to get humid up until yeah. now, the weather's been great, but definitely I'm noticing, I think the beginning of April is like when you got to you got to scoot out of, uh, out of this part. Um, but I agree with you on, on the three months. That is the kind of that I like. I enjoy this three-month period. It kind of allows you to set up somewhat of a home base. You can always, you know, move from that home base. Like you were saying, like, take a little trip. Uh, like, we love going, to like, Sayulita from here, for example. What would be some of your favorite home bases? Like, if you had to list off some, of, some cities around the world that you really enjoy uh, setting up a home base, what would, what would those be?
0: yeah and i mean this is different for everyone right for me i'm i'm just more of a city guy i like the like big metro areas yeah so uh you know for me like uh bangkok's probably number one um and then i'd put mexico city as a second and a really nice balance i find that those cities really balance each other out well uh they have a lot of this a lot of things in common as far as like their size and accessibility and this kind of stuff but they contrast each other well with climate and food and, uh, culture and just, you know, I find them to be a nice kind of, uh, tension and release between each other. Uh, so those are probably my favorite, but you know, I also like a lot of cities in, uh, Asia, you know, Manila can be nice if you do it right. Um, Saigon is really nice. Uh, Taipei is a great quality of life city as well, although they actually have winter, so. Watch out for that. Um, yeah, I think those are probably my favorite. I think KL can be a great city. It's not talked about much, but I think KL has a lot of potential. Um, it's, a, it's a really efficient city. It, it checks a lot of the boxes. A lot of people have a little trouble with the culture. It's just a little bit more off from what a lot of people in the West are used to. But uh, they have really interesting food, and they have like great internet, great apartments, low cost of living. It's It's got a lot going for it. It's like you get all the benefits of Singapore. As far as infrastructure and stuff, but it's cheaper and more relaxed, uh, so that's a good option there. Um, I used to spend a lot of time in uh, uh, Medellin, um, and obviously, I used to live in Panama. Those are both uh, good cities. They're they're uh, for me. Like after living a, quite a while in Mexico City and in Bangkok, uh, I just went back to Medellin this year, and it didn't it didn't quite do it for me uh, like it used to. And I think part of that is not, like, you know, it's not quite as much of a real city as as Bangkok or Mexico City. So I, I missed some of the the benefits of being in, in a more truly metropolitan place. Um, but, you know, it's a it's it's also, you know, great climate and, uh, uh, you know, I mean, the, the city is so beautiful to, to look at. It's It's a nice place. So, yeah, I'd say those are probably probably my my tops there.
1: Yeah. I, um, I love Mexico city like this year. That has been one of the really big things that I've discovered is Mexico city is just, it just makes so much sense. I think so for so many American nomads who still want to stay close to family because it's such an easy trip. It's really easy for people to come visit you as well, which is nice. Like if you, if you don't mind people visiting you, which we love having like, you know, uh, friends come stay with us and you have like, Easy international flights. It just makes a lot of sense. It's it's a super nice city. It's a it's a place where we're very much planning over the next couple of years to set up some sort of home base there. Uh, you know, whether that's like rent, like a place long term, or maybe, I don't know if I'd want to buy someplace. What do you think about that? Like, what do you think about acquiring property as a nomad to kind of move around
0: Um, yeah, I'm currently on the don't do that train. Um, everyone has their own opinions. I actually owned, uh, an apartment in Panama, uh, for most of the time that I lived there. And then the last couple of years when I was kind of on the exit, I was like renting it remotely on Airbnb. So I've kind of played both sides of, you know, dealing with maintaining a property, uh, in not my own country, dealing with renters, like dealing with the maintenance of the property, dealing with the admin of the building and this kind of stuff and yeah, I kind of decided it's not worth it. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think that, you know, a lot of people in the world kind of really lean into property as the sort of, you know, this is how you build wealth and this is how you, you know, uh, you know, that kind of, that, that's, that's how, if, if, if you live a normal life, especially in a country where you can get mortgages, um, then, uh, you know, then that, That's kind of like the way to you know having some level of moving from like poverty to uh you know middle class essentially that's sort of how how historically how that that works is by by being able to own property uh your your primary home at least right um but yeah personally i find it to be kind of a nightmare like managing uh property Mm -hmm. remotely and there's just there's a lot to it and i think as people that are involved in the internet i just think there's better places that we can put our money you know in in these places where we like to live like we can't get mortgages like you can't just like right. roll down to like banco or whatever and and say like show them your your nomad income and and get you know a three percent loan for 30 years with nothing down like you could get in the states or something so like not having that leverage and so meaning like you're gonna have to come up with most of the cash, if not all, and then probably have some pretty high interest rate, I think there's better places you could put your capital, whether that be other internet businesses, which, you know, people in our circle have access to um, and probably know a lot more about than managing properties or, you know, crypto, obviously, or, you know, there's just, there's a lot. I feel like that we're in kind of a unique position where there's better places to put your money. Um, But, you know, the flip side of that would be, kind of people arguing about that they they want they want to have a they want to own their home they want to have the home base they want to make it theirs they want to have all this kind of stuff which I get and I've done it and and I I understand why you would want to do that if you really want to be sure that you're based here but you know the thing is you can get ninety five maybe ninety eight percent of those benefits by just signing a long-term lease yeah. and you know, then you can negotiate for changes you want to make and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know what, when they decide that the building next door to you, they're turning into like a a rock venue and that you're going to have music blasting every single night of the week, you can just leave. If you own that apartment, you can't, and now your value has gone down and you can't sell it. And people complain when you rent it and this kind of stuff, or maybe that view that you have out of your front, place like where you are right now at that beautiful view, maybe they put up a big tower in front of you and now you don't have that mm-hmm. view anymore. And so like, there's all these things out of your control and it's, it's just not also not agile. Um, you know, we're, I think being nomads, we're, we're used to agility and we're used to whether it be with our businesses or with our personal lives. And if you decide you don't want that place anymore for any of those reasons or any other reason you need the capital for something or, or whatever, you know, this doesn't happen in five minutes. You know, this is, you you got to get a realtor. You got to put it on the market. You got to lose the percent that they're going to take. You got to pay probably capital gains taxes. There's like, there's a lot involved. And so after being through all that, I'm just not super excited about owning uh, property anymore. And I love the flexibility of renting. Um, the other thing I love about the flexibility of renting is as you make more money, you can immediately uh you know feel that uh, difference and so like you know if you own the place it's like okay cool now you made some more money so you can buy the fancier coffee maker or like maybe you put in new countertops or whatever if you don't own the place you just move to the fancier unit upstairs mm. or or down the street or the one that doesn't have the block view anymore or whatever and you can do that next month you know so uh there's there's a lot more agility that way so yeah i'm personally currently on the The no property, Um, if I like acquire some massive amounts of wealth as like some diversification or I decide I don't want to move around anymore and I want to have, you know, a certain homes in certain places or something, then maybe I could could see it. But um, for me, it's, it's currently not on the radar at all.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you that you use that example about the view because they're building a giant new, very, I mean, it looks like it's going to be a very nice building right next to us. Uh, it, like I can see the palm trees on the rooftop they're putting in right now. But right behind us, there's a timeshare. There's a timeshare building. And they've literally put this giant new building in front of what I imagine was a very nice view of this timeshare complex and i was just thinking about this yesterday when i took a walk back there i'm like wow i bet those people are very pissed about the fact that now they're gonna be staring at somebody's back balcony instead of this really nice view that they have so what does your daily routine look like at the moment i think this is something that people are always really interested in like how do you balance do you have any sort of routine or how do you like what for you is like a a good routine day
0: yeah i mean i'm a i'm a i'm a night person so uh i don't have all these these great wake up at 6 a.m and go to the gym for eight <laughs> hours and then run 40 miles and then you know that's that's not that's not my scene you don't so. take cold showers no if i'm living <laughs> in a tropical location i like to end my showers cold so i don't immediately start sweating uh but yeah I, i'm i'm more like uh i'm more like the take it easy in the morning uh, i'm like the i don't have anything like super it's like take it slow make a good coffee. And I usually like do, actually I do usually like personal stuff in the morning. So whether that be like personal life admin things or like reading or, uh, this kind of stuff or, or working out or like whatever, like, but I usually do like, like literally like the whole morning, uh, which isn't that long cause I sleep in, uh, but like, <laughs> uh, you know, like, like there, there's no like, uh, yeah, I, I, I just kind of like generally try to do like personal things. Cause my brain doesn't like my brain doesn't like peak until like later. So it's, it's, I don't, I don't do all the, the, that kind of stuff. So yeah. Whether that be like any random personal life admin things or, or, you know, researching new places or booking stuff or that kind of stuff, or just like reading or podcast stuff or, or this kind of thing, just like, but more like leisurely stuff. I try not to do too much work in the morning. Um, and then, yeah, like I'm, I like to go out for lunch. I like lunching. Uh, so Uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll go out for lunch or I'll order lunch or whatever. And then, then I I find lunch is also good. It's like a good way to like connect with people that, that are busy. Um, it Mm. just seems like, you know, it's, there's something about like, you know, when you organize a dinner and there's like. 15 people there and like it's just it's just different than if you have lunch with someone so uh i personally like like a little bit more like one-on-one time or or this to get to know people right so um i find like the the lunch hack to be a good one just like if you meet someone new you just like hey next week like let's get lunch or something and then you you can get like a I don't know. You get to know them better than if you like went to like eight random like dinners of 10 people with them. And it's like maybe you talked a little bit, but everyone was drinking a lot. And like, I don't know, whatever. So, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, lunches like that. And then then the afternoon is where I where I get into it. So um, I usually in the afternoons, uh, I'll work from home Um, in the mornings, like with the coffee time thing like that could be either at a coffee shop or uh, at home, but either way it's going to be like generally like kind of personal stuff. So, uh, but then usually like after my coffee time is kind of like the whole morning and then, then, uh, meal one would be lunch and then, uh, move into the afternoon, which is where, yeah, the the work is going to happen. And so then, uh, you know, I, I get into it and, and kind of work on whatever tasks I got going on and, uh, usually check in with my partners and see what we got going, this kind of thing. And. Uh, then yeah, that just kind of depends. I would say like a normal day, then I'll probably work from like, you know, one or two till like seven or eight and then, uh, you know, either go out for dinner or order something and, and relax or whatever, that kind of thing. That's sort of like my work chunk. Um, but you know, it depends. Like if I get excited about a project or something and, uh, you know, I don't spend a lot of time in the code these days, but I definitely get into it when, when it makes sense. And so it's like, if I'm like working on something that I'm doing in the code and it like feels good, then then like all bets are off. It's like, uh, you know, then I'll just like, I'll just like work through dinner and then like work all night. And sometimes I'll work till like six in the morning or, or whatever, or, or like, I'll like the second my eyes open in the morning and I'm like mid in the zone on this, like I'll like, I'll get into like flow on a project for like four days or something. And then it's just like, mm. you know, I'm just, my head's just like in this thing and I'm just like working on it till it's, till it's done.
1: It's so funny because our our schedule is almost completely flipped because I also have this, you know, it takes me like an hour, hour and a half when I wake up to get my brain going. But then afterwards, it's all like work and like focus kind of work. And then after lunch is when I let myself do personal things, because that's at that point, my brain's a little more like, like ADHD, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, what is this thing over here? And just, you know, all bets are off in the afternoon. (laughs) So that's when I do like personal things, but Jesse listen man this has been such a fun having you on here uh, it you know I've been looking forward to it for a while in wrapping up I thought it'd be fun uh, because I know we're both really into like how can we make our nomad life a little bit better right like what are these like little things that I can buy that are maybe like 50 100 bucks but they really improve my lifestyle so I thought in wrapping up what are some of those items that you just have found so much pleasure from owning that have like really improved your life or, you know what, they don't even have to be items, but maybe like, what are some things that as a nomad, you're like, Hey, I choose to spend my money here because it really improves my life. Like what are some of your favorite ways, I guess, to like spend money to improve your lifestyle?
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a few good ones. Um, the big one that I that I recommend all the time that is like any level of nomad can get, unless you're unless you're going like super super light and you only have like a tiny backpack. But like the the thing that the number one thing that I always say is buy your own router. So like like a real router, not like some little travel router, like a real like a nice like Asus router, like something something substantial, right? Um, and the reason for that is that I learned quite a few years ago, actually, I was in Taipei and, uh, I was staying with my buddy and we were, we were in this apartment that, that, uh, you know, claimed that they had, you know, 80 meg internet or something in Taipei, Taiwan, like they're a very good infrastructure country. So, um, so him and I were sitting at the table and like our internet keeps dropping out and we're like, you know, five feet from the router and we're like, this is ridiculous. So he said like, Oh, you know what? I got a um I got an ethernet cable in my bag. I'm going to plug directly into the router and like let's see how it let's see what the internet's like, you know, and see if like it's just crappy network or what. So he plugs in the the ethernet cable and all of a sudden the internet's awesome. He's got like 100 meg internet or whatever. And so then we realized that the problem wasn't the net itself. The problem was the crappy router. And what's so ridiculous is this is the crappy router that's provided by the isp right so Mm. it's just and then we i realized like that this is actually kind of the case like around most of the world so it's kind of funny actually that we put all this effort in including the isp to like bring the magic of the internet through like cables in the ocean all the way to your doorstep and then they screw it up with the router that's five foot away from your computer you know
1: (laughs) it's like (laughs) it's like a 50 dollar fix yeah
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, so then at that moment, we literally like went down to like an electronic shop and bought a good router. And then like our life was like amazing. And then I was like, holy crap, this is like, you know, this has probably been happening all the time. So I took the, so then I started traveling with that router for like a little while, this random router that we bought. And yeah, I basically realized that like, yeah, this is the case in like almost every place that like they have some crap router that was like, from five, 10 years ago that was from their ISP because, you know, they don't care. And then the other thing that I found is it actually adds like so much convenience because you don't unplug their router or anything. You just like daisy chain into with with the ethernet, you know, right into yours in one of the ethernet out ports and plug yours in. Mm -hmm. So you don't mess with their network at all. So if they have anything hooked into that or whatever, you don't have to, you don't have to do anything. But then the other awesome part is that all of your devices are already logged in. So now you don't have to mess yeah, around with yeah, their yeah. stupid password and put it in all your stuff and tell your partner all the stuff and, you know, what your friends come over and then whatever. So then it's like, then you're already hooked in. So which router would you recommend people get? So um, I use the Asus. I think it's called like the U68 or something, which is like a couple of years old now. Um, and that one has always just been like great for me. Uh, so I haven't like looked further than that, but any of these like real routers that are like the current kind of version are great. Cause what I learned about routers when I was researching is actually the better routers, what they do is they, they can handle more devices. And now we just have a lot of devices. We have more devices than we had a few years ago as humans, right? So what happens with the crappy routers is actually, they may only have like one data stream. So like when your phone connects to like check email, it'll like kick off your computer. And so, right, right. Uh, you know, the newer routers, they can hoard handle like four or six or eight data streams at the same time. And so not to mention that like the antennas are stronger or whatever. So then, uh, you know, then when your iPad hooks in and you're, you're doing this stream and you're whatever, you know, then, then it, it all just kind of works better. Or you got friends over like co-working or this kind of stuff.
1: So you'd be so upset with me because I remember you telling me about this router hack when you were first here. And this was what, like a month into our stay here. Our Wi-Fi doesn't reach our bedroom, man. So when I want to watch like something on Netflix, I need to download it in the kitchen and bring my iPad with the thing downloaded. And this would have been a simple like $50 fix where I could have gone down to, you know, the the store and have bought another router. It's so embarrassing. I'm such a bad nomad. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. Well, Jesse, man, uh, it's been uh, a huge pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people uh, follow you? I know you're very active on Twitter. I was talking to you there yesterday. Uh, so, where can people find you on Twitter? And uh, where can people find more about Drop and Blog?
0: Yeah, so Twitter is probably the best spot personally. So, it's just uh, at Jesse Schoberg. And then, uh, yeah, dropandblog.com. You can read about what we're doing there and kind of see if uh, that might be a fit for you or your current business.
1: Well, perfect, man. Thank you so much again for coming on.
0: Awesome, man. Thanks for having me.